Yeah, as, as, uh, as Aaron was telling that story, I just, I just kept imagining him singing Taylor Swift. That, I just love, I would love, to, I would love to see him shaking it off, shake it off, shake it, shake it, shake it off. Hey, it's great to be back. My name is Mike, and uh, I can't believe y'all let me keep showing up here. And I just love to be a part of this family. And uh, welcome those of you that might be joining us online as well today. Super grateful for you. And if you're new around here, super grateful for you, and I hope you will stop by the, the living room before you leave today. You might get connected, get to know some people. Man, we're so grateful that you're here because we're just a bunch of imperfect people on a journey of walking with God, and we're all on different mile markers. Some of us have been doing it a long time. Others of us are just starting out, but we're all in this together, and we're grateful to be doing it together. And I love that, that so many of you are tracking uh, through the Quest 52 book. If you don't have one of these, we got them out in the lobby and you can, you can pick one up after the service. Such a great read. And we've been tracking through it all year. It's all about Jesus based on the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament. It's all about what Jesus did, what he said, and who he encountered along the way. You know, I, I, did, I didn't know God uh, for a long, long time. I thought he was mad at me, disappointed at me, uh, even disgusted by me. And then I started looking at the life of Jesus, and that was what began to revolutionize my life. I've said it before, but Jesus did not come only to lay down his life for our sins so we could be forgiven and free. Don't get me wrong, that is huge. But he also came to show us once and for all what God is really like. And when I began to study and read about Jesus, it totally changed my perspective on what God was like. When I heard the things that Jesus said and the way he engaged with people and unconditionally loved those people, it revealed to me just how inclusive God is. I mean, Jesus hung out with some of the most undesirables on the planet, which proves that there is no such thing as an undesirable to God. In fact, the people who were least like Jesus, they liked Jesus and Jesus liked them. And it just gave me hope that he might like me I think it was uh, Forrest Gump who said it from a park bench. Uh, you can tell a lot about a person by their shoes. Where they been? Where they going? How they got there? I bet if I thought real hard, I could remember my first pair of shoes. My mama said, "These my magic shoes." I'm sorry, I get a little carried away there. Uh, but but uh, but what do what do your shoes say about you? Your shoes do make a statement about about you. Some shoes make a colorful, bold fashion statement. Others say, oh, I'm, I'm more reserved. Other shoes say, man, I'm on my feet all day long. Some shoes say I could run forever. So what do your shoes say? Then the shoes I'm wearing today, I had to check out which ones I have on. Uh, they pretty much say that I'm just kind of into old school basketball. I got them at a thrift store and I, and I love them. But, but, but you know, as much as I like my shoes, I know I need to occasionally step into your shoes. I love what Steve Martin said one time, always walk a mile in another man's shoes. That way when he finds out he, that you took his shoes, you'll be a mile away. But I think, I think we all become a little more like Jesus every time we try to walk in each other's shoes. When we try to understand and to empathize with each other, our capacity to love expands. We become more patient with each other. We become kinder, less judgmental, and less cynical. And one of the very cool things about looking at all the people who encountered Jesus face-to-face, -face, we can kind of put ourselves in their shoes. 
And we can see that they were real people, just like us, people from very different backgrounds, heritage, family dynamics, people with real issues, real questions, real doubts, real struggles, real hopes, real dreams, people wearing different types of shoes from all kinds of different walks of life. And today, we're going to slip our feet into a pair of these. Now, these right here, when I was living in Southern California, these are a year-round staple. And some of y'all rock flip-flops in Southern Indiana uh, up until the first snow, right? But these shoes kind of represent the type of person who is like simple, creative. Uh, You see someone with these that are outdoor loving, kind of minimalistic, kind of a free spirit type. And that would certainly describe the guy that we read about this week, known as John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. Now, like Jesus, he died when he was around 30 years of age. He was cruelly executed by a corrupt politician. And there's not a whole lot written about this guy, but I believe, and I know this is going to sound like an exaggeration, but I believe that prior to the arrival of Jesus, this flip-flop wearing desert dude was the greatest man who ever lived. Now, now I know his resume might not be as impressive as other people. He never really led anything. He never conquered any lands or enemy armies. He never wrote a bestseller, never got an Oscar, never got a Nobel Peace Prize, never made the cover of Time's Man of the Year. He certainly didn't have the look that typically reflects greatness. But I believe that apart from Jesus, this guy, John, this flip-flop wearing guy named John is the greatest man who ever lived. Now, maybe some of you have read the Bible, a bunch might disagree. You'll say, well, no. What about Abraham? Come on. What about Moses? Did you forget about David? What about Daniel? What about Elijah? To say that John is the greatest, that just sounds like something a pastor would say because he's getting ready to talk about it, right? (laughs) And I am. But I am convinced that John is the goat, the greatest of all time. In fact, I'm pretty positive about this one. Jesus had this to say about John the Baptist. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Told you so. (laughs) So what was it about John that would elicit that kind of praise from Jesus? What is it that measures true success? What defines legacy? How in the world do you become great in the eyes of greatness, Jesus? Well, let's, let's slip our toes into John's flip-flops today, and maybe we can learn a few things about greatness. I think one of the things that starts us on the path to greatness is when you and I are content to just be God's limited edition, just God's limited edition. One of the qualities that Jesus loved most about John the Baptist is that he just tried to be who God made him to be. He embraced his own originality. He was comfortable in his own skin. He saw himself not in a prideful or rebellious kind of way as just one of a kind. I mean, John was a very unique character, unique in a whole lot of ways, uh, starting with his birth. You ever thought about how many significant Bible characters had unusual births? Now, of course, Jesus had the most unusual, born of a virgin in a smelly stable. Uh, Moses almost murdered at birth found floating in a basket, Uh, Samuel, uh, Samson, born to women who had struggled all their life with infertility. Isaac's mom was 90 years old, and that was John's story. He was born to parents way too old to have children. I mean, they were buying pampers with their social security check, if you know what I mean. Zechariah and Elizabeth had given up hope. 
until the day they got this message from God. The angel said to them, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son and you are to name him John. To which Zechariah responded, yeah, right, that ain't gonna happen. I tell you right now, that's just never gonna happen. To which the angel Gabriel, the messenger from God, responds with, okay, but now since you did not believe what I said, you're going to be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. I'm telling you, Z, this is going to happen, but you're going to have to wait and shut up. And that's the way it was. Elizabeth and Zechariah finally got pregnant. He couldn't tell anybody about it because he couldn't talk. When the baby was born, friends and family members asked Elizabeth, oh, what are you going to name him? And naming the baby after the father was the traditional thing to do, the expected thing to do. And she says, John. They go, what? There's nobody in your entire family named John. We better ask Zechariah. He's not going to be happy about this. It says this. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. He motioned for a writing tablet and to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again. And he began praising God and all fell upon the whole neighborhood. And the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. So John had a very unique birth. But then again, so was yours. I mean, I don't know where you were born, whether it was in a hospital or maybe you're born at home or in a bathtub or on a boat in the backseat of an Uber. I don't know where you were born, but your birth was unlike anybody else because you are unlike anybody else. I love the way David marveled at this in Psalm 139 when he said, oh God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watch me as I was being formed in utter seclusion as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. Here's the deal. David, who wrote that, was a one-of-a-kind limited edition. John was a one-of-a-kind limited edition. I am a one-of-a-kind limited edition, and so are you. Did you know that God takes great delight in watching you be you? He made you. There's nobody quite like you. He loves your nose, your lips, your eyes, your hair, or lack thereof. He loves your acne, your wrinkles, your bulging biceps, your love handles, your voice, your walk, your talk, your laugh. He loves the one and only you. His workmanship is marvelous. Now we are all in the process of becoming more and more like Jesus from the inside out. But even that flows out of who God designed us uniquely to be. I like the way my buddy John Ortberg says, he says, when, when you allow the Holy Spirit to work inside of you, you don't just become holier, you become youier. You start to become God's best version of you. Now, the fruit of the Spirit all originate from the same source, but the way that gentleness and peace and love and patience and goodness flows through you is a little bit different than the way it uniquely flows through me. And they certainly uniquely flowed through John. Jesus talking about John's uniqueness, he said this in Luke chapter 7, what kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of wind or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people who wear beautiful clothes and live in luxury, they're found in palaces. His clothes were woven from coarse cam camel hair and he wore a leather belt around his waist for food he ate locusts and wild honey. 
Man, John was unique. He was a different dude. He was a nonconformist and certainly a huge contrast to the religious leaders of the day. They were dressed in their absolute finest, and John was dressed in like simple thrift store clothes. He was strong. He was weathered. He was an outdoor guy, ate a low-carb, high-protein diet, had the Duck Dynasty beer going on. I don't know, but he was definitely countercultural. And he was unique in just about every way. And this unique limited edition also had a very unique calling on his life. This is the way Mark's gospel begins. It says this, this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written, look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had turned to God to receive forgiveness for their sins. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. John had a specific calling on his life to prepare the way of the Lord, the Messiah, the promised Savior, to get things ready, to get hearts ready. That was his unique calling. And you, you have a unique calling too. Perhaps right now for some of you, your calling on your life is to be a great mom, just to be a great dad, to prepare the way of the Lord in your kids' lives. When my kids were little, I felt so strongly about this. I mean, I would get, uh, I would get asked to speak at things and I would turn them down because my rationale was, there's a lot of guys that could go do that, but there's only one person that can be Jody, Derek, and Drew's dad. And that's my calling on my life right now. Some of you have a calling on your life right now to make a difference in the school you attend. Some of you are living out your calling in a bank, in a factory, in a store, in a studio, in a construction site, or some office that you work at. Some of you are living out your unique calling right now by caring for elderly parents or a sick one, or sick loved one, or, or a neighbor, or a friend. Some of you are sensing a unique calling in your life right now to go to some underdeveloped part of the world and bring a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. Whatever your calling is, it's unlike anybody else's. And John's unique calling also centered around a unique kind of message. Now, I, I get the opportunity to preach a lot. And one of the prayers I often pray, in the fact, I prayed it today. Uh, Father, may this message comfort the disturbed. And may it disturb the comfortable. Starting with me. And the second part of that, that was pretty much John's message I mean, lots of people were curious about this radical dude from the desert. He was saying things, fresh things, eye-opening things, challenging things, hopeful things. He, he, he was so unlike any other religious type. He was unique, but he was also authentic, and people were, people are drawn to that. Well, word gets out about him, and these corrupt, power-hungry, hypocritical religious leaders start showing up in the crowds. And when they show up, John does not hold back. I want to read just a portion of what he said to these guys from, in, in Luke chapter 3. I'm going to read it from the message. When crowds of people came out for baptism because it was a popular thing to do, and he's talking about religious leaders showing up, John exploded. Brood of snakes, what do you think you're doing slithering down here to the river? You think a little water on your snake skin is going to deflect God's judgment? It's your life that must change, not your skin. And don't think you can pull rank by claiming Abraham as father. 